God, thanks for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of, of Ruth that we get a look at today. And this story of how you take what is empty and hopeless and you make it full and give hope. And you do that ultimately through your son, Jesus. So God, we give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. We love you, Lord. Amen. Have you ever come up with the perfect plan before? Uh, this last weekend, not this weekend, but the weekend before, uh, I got to kind of help put together a plan that, that came together pretty well, I'm just going to say. Uh, see, my sister, uh, I, have a, I have an older sister and an older brother, and my sister and her husband live in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, but they just recently had their third child. Here's a picture of her. This is my niece, Jane Casperson. Woo, she is cute. You got to break on your nieces when you get the opportunity. Uh, but this is my sister's uh, third kid, and they're all under the age of four, okay? So if you get what I'm saying, uh, mom and dad are no longer, are not one on two anymore. It's not man on man or girl on girl. It's zone defense and somebody's open all the time, okay? Lots of energy, lots of excitement, and lots of emotions too, uh, so thank the Lord for super grandma, right? That's why they come back to grandma's house to help out and, and to have that extra set of hands. But there was a, a, another reason why they came home as well, uh, because today actually is my dad's birthday. Uh, so we went, they came home as well. They went back to Eau Claire uh, to celebrate my dad's birthday a week early. And since my mom and my brother were already there, they called us up and said, hey, we're coming down on Friday. But what do you think? Saturday morning, you guys wake up super early and get there by eight o'clock and and surprise grandpa and have all the grandkids there. So we said, sure, we'll do that. So we woke up super early, got down there, and, and we put Judah in front of the door, rang the doorbell, and ran away. <laughs> so the, the, the funniest part about it is mom knew this was coming, so she, she made sure to have her hands busy making breakfast and said, you know, uh, my dad had just gotten back from a run, so he was super, super uh, sweaty and, and whatnot. He said, Kirk, get the door. And he's like, no, I don't want to get the door. I'm sweaty. But he, he did, and he opened the door, and his reaction, peeking around the corner, it was priceless. Uh, because kind of what was going, uh, going on in his head was, what in the world? Why is there a child at my door? And then, what is this grandchild doing? And then, how did this grandchild get outside of the zone defense and then realizing that grandchild was actually my son Judah, and then she connected the dots all together. And it, it, was, it was really fun to surprise my dad. It was fun to celebrate him, and my personal favorite part, eat ice cream cake together as well. Maybe you've planned a, a surprise birthday party for someone before. Maybe you've sur had a surprise anniversary or, or a retirement party that you do, and you just get to surprise someone. It's so fun to see the reaction. Uh, but have you ever surprised someone by sleeping at the foot of their bed and asking them to be their kinsman redeemer? I'm going to, I'm going to guess that you haven't done that. Uh, and today we actually get to talk about that story in the Bible and, and how that actually relates to us as well. But before we jump into that, um, Last week, uh, we had Confirmation Sunday, uh, which, was, which was awesome and, and fun to be a part of, and how we got to celebrate with the confirmants what God was doing in their lives. Um, but it was also kind of a bye week, you could say. And, and so you might not be familiar with where, where we are, or you might have forgot where we are at the, the story, where, where we're at at the story of Ruth. And so I'm going to kind of do a quick recap in case you forgot too. So in case you missed it, the, the book of Ruth, um, the story focuses 
on Naomi's family, who was from Israel, but, but they moved to Moab to, for a better life, pretty much. But like a, a Shakespeare tragedy, after the men got married, all of them ended up dying and, and passing away. And Naomi was left with just her two Moabite daughter-in-laws. And, and she was without hope and, and feeling completely empty. So Naomi decided to move back to her, to her hometown, to her home country of, of Bethlehem. Um, and, and she was able to convince one of her daughter-in-laws to stay, but Ruth, her daughter-in-law, said, no, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And, and that famous quote that we heard. And so Ruth uh, accompanied Naomi back to Bethlehem. And, and in chapter 2, uh, we, we got to see Ruth take ownership for her family by trying to provide for her and Naomi by, by going out into the fields and gathering barley for the harvest. And, and like Pastor Ben said last week, uh, it, it kind of seemed like a hallmark uh, rom-com after that because the field that she just happened to go to just happened to be owned by a na- man named Boaz and Boaz just happened to come by and Boaz just happened to notice Ruth and everybody reading the story goes, wait a second, that girl and that guy, this could work, you know? So we see that uh, we see this romance start to form, but also throughout the chapter two, we got to see the theme of God's kindness poured out through Boaz's, Boaz's uh, abundant kindness to Ruth. And, and we're reminded that even when we feel completely empty and when we don't understand what is happening in our story, God's still there working out a plan to provide and to fill us up. So today we're going to be taking a look at Ruth chapter three. And there's three real pieces of this chapter that we're going to be talking about. And they're pretty clear cut, okay? Don't be super surprised. I'm not going to blow your brains this morning. And these are the, the three points, the plan, the event, and the recap. Straightforward. So let's talk about the plan. It's Ruth uh, chapter three, verses one through five. And we're going to read this together. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz your relative with whose young women you were See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lay down. He will tell you what to do. And she re- replied, All that you say, I will do. The plan. So even though there's not that many verses we just read, there's actually quite a bit of background and context that we can take uh, from this plan here. Uh, The first thing to point out about this passage is that we see a major shift on who's taking initiative here. Right away, um, it's, it's Naomi, which is different than how things have been in the past. See, Naomi in the past, uh, in the first two chapters, had, has been in this place of bitterness. And, and she had allowed Ruth to go out and, and gather barley by herself in a place that she didn't know, in a place that, as chapter two talked about, it was a, it was a good thing that she went to Boaz's field because gathering barley or, or going out in that time can be dangerous. And so um, it, it's, it's a major shift that we start to see that, that was kind of foreshadowed a little bit. At the end of chapter two, we get a glimpse that maybe Naomi was coming around, but now we get to see that come to fruition with her taking the lead in the planning of this uh, amazing plan. The second thing that we can take away from this section is that Naomi wants the best for Ruth and is doing so, uh, what she's doing this plan is out of unselfish motives, you could say. Uh, the 
NIV translation says where you will be well provided for, or the translation that we uh, uh, read said, uh, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you. Naomi is hatching a plan because she realizes that Ruth, if, if she's an unprotected widow in a foreign land, life could be very hard and, and unsafe for her in the future. The plan is to try and save Ruth and provide a future for her by having her go and find a husband, specifically Boaz. The, another thing we can take away from this section is that Naomi is pretty knowledgeable with the schedule and the activities of the harvest. Maybe she's been there before. We don't know. It doesn't give us that detail, but there's a chance that maybe she's helped in the, in the past with the harvest before. Uh, and, and so it's a good thing that she's the one coming up with the plan. And this plan revolves around the area or the location of the threshing floor. So what's a threshing floor? I didn't know. Uh, so I had to look it up and, and, and do some research on it. But the threshing floor was more than, uh, it, it, was, it was nothing more than a level uh, place of a smooth rock or, or level ground that was usually located up on a hill. And, and there, at that place, winnowing would happen. I think I pronounced that right. Uh, but, but this idea, what winnowing was, was um, they would take the barley and, and put it down on this level ground, and they would take sticks and manually uh, hit the barley. And they would break the sheaves to begin separating the grain from the husks, and the final step would be tossing the grain up in the air, and the chaff would separate from the wind, and just the edible grain would land back on the stone or the level ground, and that would be the final project. Talk about a hard day of work, right? Naomi's plan, as we can see, is thorough and and detailed. And she continues to explain that Ruth must wait to give this big proposition until after Boaz had eaten and drinking. Why? Uh, Some scholars or or commentaries believe that the Feast of the Harvest, that after they went and and harvested all this barley, uh, they would have this great celebration after, after working and willing late into the late hours of the night. And they would celebrate with, it, with this feast. And then they would sleep out there neck on the threshing floor for two reasons. One, to protect the grain from thieves. And two, so that they could just get up as soon as the sun was up and they're already there and ready to work. So um, the, the other thing we can take away and, and practical advice for us today, in case you're wondering, is uh, if you ever have a big proposition to give to your spouse or someone that you love, and they just worked a 16-hour day of manual labor, um, wait for them to eat. Make sure that, that they're no longer thirsty, and this is a big one for me. Make sure that they take a really good nap, okay? Before you give this life-changing proposition, but smart planning here by Naomi again. And she instructs Ruth to put on, the, the last, one of the last things she says is to, uh, she instructs Ruth to put on perfume, to take a shower, and to put on her best clothes. Um, something to note is, is this, that um, most likely Ruth and Naomi are poor. Uh, they're widows, and if she's going out and harvesting during the day, she probably doesn't have a job, and they're trying to put food on the table. So this idea of putting on a cloak, as the ESV says, or NIV talks about your, your best clothes, is more so probably talking about take off your widow clothes and, and prepare yourself as best you can as a bride. And the final instruction that she gives to Ruth, Naomi, in this plan section is to note where Boaz lies down. FBI style almost in a sense. You know, don't let him see you, still stay in, the, stay in the shadows, but make sure you know where he is sleeping. And then when he's fast asleep, go over there, do, do 
doo doo, and, and then uncover his feet. And, and, and why, did, why would you do that? Well, one, to make him stir in the middle of the night, because if your feet are uncovered and you're literally sleeping on a hill someplace, you're probably going to get cold at some point and wake up. And two is to give Boaz no doubt of what her intentions are. She isn't trying to do anything crude or crass. She's trying to give a proposal while also having it aligned with the good and noble character that Boaz already knows her by. She's going there to communicate and ask for this commitment of marriage. Ruth responds to Naomi's plan with the same loyal and devoted character as she's shown the entire time to Naomi. So with this plan carefully crafted and detailed and all laid out, uh, let's go to the next section that we're going to take a look at. It's the event, verses 16 through 15. So let's read that together. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry, and he went to lay down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman was laying at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your, spread your wings, or NIV says, cover me with the edge of your garment over your servant, for you are my redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for my fellow townsmen know that you are of worthy, a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before anyone could recognize one another. And he said, let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Uh, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring your garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. So we just talked about uh, this plan and, and, and they planned for this plan for a long time. And then what happened? Well, the plan actually came to be quite well, right? Just like the, the plan I hatched with my family, the plan that Naomi and Ruth uh, put together happened perfectly. Boaz ate and drank, and, and it says that he was in, uh, in merry spirits or good spirits. And we know that there had just been a, a famine, right? That's the reason in chapters 1 and 2, like we, we read about, they came back because there was a famine. And so this was the first successful harvest that they had had in a long time. And, and, and so there was very much a reason to celebrate a very, very hard day of work and, and God's provision after this time that was so tough. But the phrase that Boaz being in good spirits or a merry spirit isn't giving us the idea when you look into the context of it that he wasn't in the right state of mind. The phrase is pointing to the fact that he was, he was happy and content. This was a big day for him. One translation uses the phrase, he was at peace with the world and he was very thankful. Uh, this kind of clears the air and gives a better understanding and helps us conclude that Ruth isn't getting him when he isn't thinking straight or, or tricking him into be his kinsman's redeemer. Um, she's, she's waiting to the right opportune time. So the plan goes accordingly and, and Boaz wakes up and, and freaks out a little bit because he recognizes that there's a woman at his feet and, and he asks the question, who are you? 
And, and, and if you look at the, at the context and, and, the, and the original language, he actually uses the feminine singular pronoun to do that. So he, he does realize it's a woman at his feet. And the other thing to keep in mind that this conversation that they're happening it, it is happening in a place that probably many of Boaz's other workers are around that are sound asleep right around them. This isn't private quarters. So this conversation that they're having isn't private. It's probably happening in the tone of whispers, actually. And when Boaz asks Ruth respectfully, uh, she, she responds, his servant Ruth, asking him to cover her with his garment or, or to spread his winds over her and to act as her redeemer or guardian redeemer. This idea of covering him with his garment or spreading his winds is pretty much asking him what we think. Will you marry me? Will you take me into your family? But before we go any further, what does it mean to, what does it mean to have a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer? Like Pastor Ben mentioned last week, uh, a guardian or kinsman redeemer was an, an Old Testament family law that was in place that uh, a kinsman or the next of kin, a relative, um, had the responsibility and the right to help preserve a family line of a widow. This wasn't something weird. It was actually very honorable to do. And what those responsibilities would be, the list of what you would have to do is, one, marry the king, marry the person, marry the widow, father a child, and buy back the land if they had any. And, provide, and by doing this, you'd be providing a future for them. Boaz knew what he was signing up for, and his response to, to Ruth is full of kindness, humility, and, and also was beyond reproach. Boaz addresses her as daughter, which was kind of, you know, might sound weird to us, but it was a, it was a way of showing me and, and calming a situation to address her so that she knows he's not trying to take advantage of her in this situation. He's a stand-up guy. And later, when he calls her a woman of, of noble character, that's the same phrase, that's the same phrase used uh, to describe a Proverbs 31 woman. So, so what does it say to this idea of being her, so what does he say to this idea of being her kinsman redeemer though? Boaz says that he will do it, right? He says he makes the promise to her that he will do all that she had asked for. Be her kinsman redeemer. But Boaz doesn't want to do anything under the table either. He wants to do it the right way. Because the kinsman redeemer, uh, there was a kinsman redeemer that was closer than him. Someone closer in the family line that would have the first rights to redeem Ruth if they wanted to. So he tells her, hey, first thing in the morning, he will go and talk with him. And as long as he says no, I'm your guy, Ruth. The last thing that Boaz does is he continues to provide for Ruth, both physically and taking care of her social, socially as well. He doesn't want anyone to get the wrong idea of what was happening here at the threshing floor. So he has her leave before anybody wakes up, aka before the sun comes up. And you can see people. They didn't have, you know, clap on lights or light switches out there. And then the other thing that he does is he doesn't send her home empty-handed. He gives her anywhere between it from what we think could be 56 to 88 pounds of barley. Not only is Ruth a beautiful, as I talked about earlier, noble, uh, she also has a CrossFit membership, I want to say, because that's a lot of grain to carry, right? And, and you don't have a car to throw it in the back of the trunk. Like, I don't know how far of a distance she had to go, but man, uh, and then, and then Ruth then returns to Naomi with, with this good news and also a, a, her a shawl completely full of grain as well. So that was the event. Let's kind of talk about this recap and how does this story that we just read apply to our lives today too? What can we take away from it? 
So the recap, verses 16 through 18. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Ruth comes back and gives Naomi all the juicy details and lets her know what's happening. And the chapter closes with this idea of, of waiting to see what will happen. What will be the outcome? But if you're Ruth and Naomi, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? As we look back at Ruth and Naomi's story up to this point, we see, and I'm sure they start to see how God's provision has been through it all. All along the way, God provided for Ruth and Naomi. From Ruth choosing to go to Boaz's field by, cho- by pure coincidence, to, to Ruth uh, finding favor with Boaz, to Boaz being wanting to, to wanting to being Ruth's kinsman redeemer, to providing grain for her in the immediate, fu- in the immediate uh, need that she had, in ways that they couldn't even, they didn't have any control of. God had been handling those situations and God had been giving to them in abundance, extravagant generosity, once again, above and beyond what they could have ever expected, right? God does that today in our lives too. God provides and gives for his children abundantly as well. No, that doesn't always mean more money, cars, and a bigger house. What, what, what we're saying here is that he deals generously with our biggest problems that we have. He deals with the problems that we can't handle on our own, sin and death. Because without God, we were in a, a much similar boat as Ruth and Naomi were, being without hope. Ephesians 11, uh, 2 verses 11 through 12 can be summarized in this way. We were without God and without hope in the world. That's the state we were in. No God equals no hope. See, Ruth chapter three that that we read today, uh, a pastor that I really appreciate, Paul David Tripp, uh, made this comment when he got to chapter three. He says, we start to see in the book of Ruth that this is not just a love story. At its core, the book is a redemptive story. Not only for Ruth, but, but also for us. I have a question for you. Maybe you caught it. Maybe you didn't. I, I did it the first time, so I won't hold you to it. But did you catch the gospel reference in, in verse 12 that we read earlier? Boaz is, is talking about a relative here, but listen again to Ruth 3, verse 12. And now this is true, that I am a redeemer, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. Uh, another theologian I was, I, was, I was reading about this week has this take on it. He says, this is an instance of Christocentricity of the Bible. Okay, I didn't, uh, that's a big word, right? Or, or a better way to describe it would be, this is red lettering in the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament points to the coming Messiah, and Ruth is no exemption of that. This is a messianic promise, a prophetic truth of, of Jesus and our Redeemer that he's going to be for us. Boaz is a picture of redemption, but he's not the ultimate Redeemer. Our real, kinman, our real kinsman redeemer, our, our guardian redeemer, our redeemer that is going to be coming and he's going to be coming in the flesh and the one who will be coming will be known as Emmanuel, God with us. And what will he do? 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, 
to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus stood in the gap for us. He stepped in as our redeemer. He took our place and he takes what is empty and fills it. He takes what is hopeless and gives us an eternal hope. One that's not dependent on our current situations or, 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 situa- or circumstances, but hope that is found solely in the life-changing and life-saving power of the cross. Find your hope, your fulfillment, not in yourself, not in the world, but in the redeeming work of our risen Savior this week. That's my challenge for you. Because Christ has redeemed you. He's your kinsman redeemer. Working in ways that you can't always see, providing in situations that sometimes feel helpless, he has a plan. He has a plan and he also already followed followed through on his plan too. Trust him, lean into him, and he'll take you from empty to full, just like he did for Ruth and Naomi, just like he does for us each and every day. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for Ruth chapter three and how we're able to look at this story and and see and learn from the story of Ruth and Naomi, but also apply that to our lives. Thank you that you're evident in the Old Testament and you're evident to us today that you are our kinsman redeemer, that you've made a way that you stood in for us. You were willing to die for us. You took what is empty and hopeless, our sin and death, and, and you made a way so that we could have hope and eternal hope. So God, we give you glory. We give you praise. Thank you for this time. We love you, Lord. Amen. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.